Welcome to In Our Words, Black Entrepreneurs Speak Wisconsin. The mission of this podcast is to provide a more holistic understanding of the African-American entrepreneur in the state of Wisconsin. Specifically, we seek to gain in-depth understanding regarding challenges faced and overcome by black business owners, while also providing success stories and strategies implemented along the way that has helped grow their business startup and growth resources. Welcome, 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 welcome. We're back for episode three of In Our Words, Black Entrepreneurs Speak Wisconsin. And we have some special, special guests for you two today, for the crowd today, for the listeners. We have not just one, but we have two doctors here to talk about their experience in their entrepreneurship field. Uh, this is this is about to be special, and I'm just excited. Usually we wait till the end, but we're going to let these doctors, since we're on the virtual setting right now, um, we're going to let these doctors introduce themselves, and um, we'll give them the space to do that just about now. Dr. Liston, let's start with you. Hello, um, my name is Monique Liston, and I am the founder, chief strategist, and joyful militant at Ubuntu Research and Evaluation. Dr. Kelly? Hi, my name is Dr. Khadijah Kelly, and I am a mental health therapist in the Fox Valley, uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. Wow, wow. Just As you guys can see, again, we have two doctors here to talk on this podcast. So as we get started, we're going to first start with... Um, we're going to first start with some successful strategies, um, and I'm going to start with you, Dr. Liston. First, tell me, who is Dr. Monique Liston? Very interesting question. I always say that there's three things that you know, to, if you've ever met me. Um, I identify as a Black woman. Mm. I am from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm a proud alum of Howard University. Mm. And so I think about showing up in the world at this time as a product of the Mecca and that rich intellectual tradition that comes out of the Mecca mm. um, and probably Midwestern. I love the books. I eat bratwurst and, you know, <laughs> cheese is definitely a food group. And combining all of that into a intellectual and ancestral history of, you know, really fighting for Black people, Black livelihoods, Black existence, Black audacity. Dr. Kelly? Wow, I don't even know if I can <laughs> show off with that one. Um, thanks for uh, speaking up, uh, Dr. Liston. Well, I am born and raised from Detroit, Michigan, a sibling of four, raised my younger brother and sisters since they were six and eight. So I'm very proud of that and identify as a black woman hmm. as well as I, you know, I'm I'm very intentional and in advocating for black women, the most underprivileged um, and underserved population. And uh, I pride myself on making sure that I am working uh, diligently to help uh, my Black community here in Appleton, Wisconsin. Thank you both for sharing. We're going to continue here with Dr. Kelly. Dr. Kelly, where does it all begin for you uh, within your entrepreneurship experience? Uh, I, I started to see this influx of uh, actually when I worked at one of my jobs of the Black population, young Black population coming in more and more for mental health. Uh, work. And I was talking to a white ally, actually. And she said, it's time. You have to, you know, it's time. You got to open up your practice. And I, and I just told her, you know what, if I'm going to do that, then you need to do the legwork as an ally. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just going to show up and have, the, uh, and help them out. And so she ended up doing all the work for me. Uh, I ended up opening up my practice uh, four years ago. And that's how it began. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I, they, I knew that the black and brown folks needed somebody that looked like them. And there was no one in the mental health field that was doing that. And I decided to do it. 
in the beginning, can you speak towards um, some challenges you may have faced and um, how you overcame those challenges? Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, if you actually look at my site, you'll see that my site is it really reflects the black community. And I remember a potential client call like, are you only serving black people because your website is all black people? And I had to laugh at that. And I told him, I said, well, would you ask a white therapist that? Because I'm pretty sure that, that, you know, it's a reflection of kind of like not only who they're serving, as well as just like, you know, just it, it reflects kind of who they are as an individual. And I really believe in uh, critical race theory. And I want it to reflect that because that's what my work is all about. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the challenges. A lot of folks were, you know, they had an issue with my website. I also, you know, unfortunately, I had problematic folks that had an issue with the artifacts in my office. Um, I had an issue with build tell because, again, I think when individuals come into my office, my theory is just to do narrative theory as well as challenging folks. I never really had an issue financially. Um, however, being the only black therapist in the community was was very hard for me because you know, at the end of the day, those numbers climb up uh, in our community. And and so that was really a challenge for me with prioritizing that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Let's transition over here to Dr. Liston. Dr. Liston, can you talk to us a little bit about your experience and where does it all begin for you? Yes. So that's not (laughs) the goal. (laughs) The goal is to do the work that I was trained to do. And so I was in a position finishing, wrapping up my PhD and realizing that it's very easy for people to exploit Black women's intellectual labor. Mm -hmm. Folks want to claim it, say it's theirs, Mm -hmm. use it with their own spin on it and just forget and erase the Black women. And then, you know, on an organizational level, these organizations want to hire you, use your work, and then erase you from ever contributing to it Mm. and expecting you to be quiet because they paid you a wage. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, in the millennial urge to be like, what is this whole 40 hour a week work for somebody else thing? I wanted to create a space that protected my intellectual work. And so I never thought it would be my full-time gig. It was just, I knew my ideas were growing roots in the city. And so like, how do I protect that without getting exploited? Um, So I created a space, you know, people respect institutions more than they respect people. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I created an LLC to hold hold that. And then what came along with it was a lot of asks, like, can you do, will you be able to do? Um, And so I was doing it part time just as like, this is a little, little cute little side hustle. And about a year and a half in, I realized like, hey, if I really commit to this, I can grow this to be something. And so that's when it shifted from being, this is a cute little opportunity side hustle to be in my full-time gig and then being a full-time gig for other, at the time, women, but we've expanded to include femmes and non-binary folks. But to the point that Dr. Kelly raised, right? Like we know that Black women are exploited Black marginalized genders are exploited for their intellectual work and labor. And what would happen if, right, because I'm a researcher at heart, what happens if we create a workplace that centers them, that prioritizes them, and then gives them the tools to be their best intellectual selves Mm -hmm. in a space that is not asking them to deny any parts of their existence in order to 
be considered professional or an expert in our arena. Mm. And so, um, you know, that little experiment has turned into five years later and a full-time staff of 13 Mm. that I could have never imagined. But, you know, here we are and growing day by day. And I think what I can say that the answer to my experimental question is uh, folks flourish, they grow, they expand. And most importantly, they feel so connected to and dedicated to the space that they become really protective of it and how people enter and engage with it. So the deeper I invest in Black women, femmes, and non-binary folks, the greater the reward. Um, And that's not just financial. That is, you know, my emotional, intellectual, physical needs being, being cared for. Um, in community with other folks who care about me. Definitely. And you you mentioned earlier that you attended an HBCU and within your college experience. Can you go a little bit into, you know, how important that was for your development and growth and to get you to where you are now? Yeah. At the ripe, wise old age of 17, I had convinced myself that I had spent enough time learning from, through, and with white folks. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I followed my, I have family history of attending Howard too, but I followed that tradition to go to Howard um, really at 17, just thinking like, I want to be around black people. Like that was, <laughs> that mm-hmm. was my intention. Um, but now, you know, 17 years later, looking back on that decision, it was really, uh, the outcome of it was creating a opportunity where I could see Black people in their wholest and fullest, Mm. right? Without this contingency of how white people are interpreting them, but really centered on how Black folks see one another. Mm. And so I think about all of the people I met and what I learned there is how I engage what it means for me to be moving through the world as a Black woman. I'm not here to appease, deal with, or even criticize what's mm. happening with white people's interpretation for, of me. Mm. I'm here to think about how can we build up black communities, black families, black livelihoods to resist this inherently racist and anti-black world. Mm. Right. And so I think for me, the greatest gift of attending the HBCU was being able to center myself in a very black affirming, dignified existence, not one that's constantly chasing a very white aesthetic, white, mm. unrealized American dream, white cultural dominance. Like I'm not looking for that. I'm mm. looking to affirm what I already know is awesome and beautiful in its own right. And that is existence um, in, a, in a black body, in a black community with black folks. Mm-hmm. Definitely. My next question is going to be centered kind of around what we're talking about, you know, and how, um, you know, we say the white culture, you know, perceives culturally specific businesses. And, you know, um, I don't really know how to answer, ask this question uh, specifically, but, you know, how important is it within business to have white allyship in the uh, the state of Wisconsin? You know, is, is it important? What does that look like? Do either one of you have white employees? And, you know, how do you manage that um, being a culturally specific business? Um, I guess for me, uh, you do <laughs> need uh, white allies. And I think because of where I'm located, right, I'm in a predominantly white community. And so I needed to have, that was my go-to, really. And I think that they owe us, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the allies are there for. And, and so I think it really, for me, it was important 
for for them to do the leg for my white ally, white aspiring allies to do the legwork. However, I don't think that they make me thrive. Like I, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's really ultimately it's up to me as a black woman mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm getting my business upright. Because it, for me, the reality is, is that I am, you know, I'm very intentional about working with the black community. Therefore, I need to show up and not my allies. But I, I have not hired anyone at my practice. However, my billing person is a is a white person. So, yeah. Doctor, listen to anything or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a interesting thing um, to consider because of the the question I put forth in the beginning. Like, what 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 does it mean for us to create a a work environment where Black women, femmes, and non-binary folks, the marginalized genders, would have the opportunity to flourish? And so, in doing that, we're carrying a question with us every single day which is what is our engagement with whiteness <laughs> and what does it mean for us at any given turn? You know, like we, we are and will always remain an equal opportunity employer, right? But in order to enter this space, do you have the capacity to really understand what it means to protect Black livelihoods in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Because it's so quick, we move away from the critical, con- the critical conversation around whiteness and how it gets into our culture dive into professionalism and respectability so then we claim it's no longer about race but then we're marginalizing only the people who have been racialized (laughs) right and so i think in the professional setting and we're saying professional because what better word captures what it means to get paid for what we do (laughs) but how how does that then challenge us with all of the things that we need to exist as a business right mm-hmm. and so you know we really try our best really to be like can we support a black per- a black woman femme or non-binary person like that's first right if we can't can we support a black business mm-hmm. <laughs> if we can't can we su- support a black indigenous other people of color owned business and if we absolutely have to engage with giving our money time and energy to white people are they doing it in something that con- connects with some of the issues that we're most concerned mm. with, right? So, like, is there an ethical thing that we're, like, we're aligned on this issue? Is it local? Is it connected to the communities we care about? Are they willing to hear us think about these issues of race, gender, class, sexuality, and how they shape our everyday lives? So those are, like, the questions. So more than anything, it's not, like, it's not a definitive, this is what we do and don't do. It is living in the space of contradiction, that we want Black people to be free. But in the in the context of getting towards that liberation, we also have to survive. Mm. And so what does it take for us to survive that isn't a trade off for us getting towards our liberation? And so Mm. just sitting with that question at every business decision, whether that's our payroll company or our accounting or where we're going to eat for team lunch, all of those things are really held through that lens. And how do we get there and what are our choices as we move towards that? Definitely, definitely. You know, this question that are going to be coming in are, you know, for both of you. So feel free to answer it. You know, I'm not going to direct it at either one of you. Um, but since you started, you know, what's changed for for you two? you know, uh, mentally, physically, spiritually? How do you balance everything? I guess for me, um, I am not very confident just because it was kind of brand new for me to do something on my own. However, I do think that what's changed is that obviously my numbers have raised. I see more black and brown folks as clients. Mentally, I think, in all honesty, after George Floyd, 
I was spiritually broken. Uh, not that that was brand new for me to witness something of that nature. However, I I really, truly had to show up for black and brown folks. I yeah. really, truly had to do that in a way that was very taxing. And I have to say, I have more black clients than anything when I first started four years ago, which I love. And I also have to say that stigma has kind of like evaporated a little bit mm. with getting their mental health checked in. But I do see, I don't know, I spiritually, I, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit kind of broken because of just racism where I'm at. And I have to deal with that. And at the end of the day, I'm black before I'm a therapist. However, when folks come in my office, I have to be a therapist. And so it's really, you know, I have to balance that out in a way that doesn't jeopardize my mental health. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, navigating that space in a way that uh, serves my clients in a healthy way. So that's kind of like what's changed for me. Mm. I love the fact that I have uh, higher numbers, though, of mm. black clients, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Dr. Listen, what's changed for you? How do you, you know, mentally, physically, and how do you, how do you balance everything? <laughs> <laughs> how do I balance everything? That's a great question and when you get the answer you let me know and i will <laughs> be able to work with that mm -hmm. because i mean if things were in balance right i wouldn't have to do this work mm -hmm. <laughs> if i could if things were in balance i would be like hosting a cooking show on public television <laughs> and just like really into like this is what i'm eating today and here's a really cute instagram reel that i made about the lunch I'm making for my kids and that would, be, that would be it. So I don't even fool myself around that. Mm -hmm. But what I do do think is like, that's on the macro level, but on the micro level, like what are the, the balance beam mm -hmm. <laughs> internally with it? I do think over time, you know, my work has changed. The work I set out to do when we started this organization in 2017 was flipped on its head when the murder of George Floyd, when the murder of Breonna Taylor and a global pandemic impacted us. Mm. Those three things like flipped mm. our work completely in terms of one, people realize the need to talk more intentionally about race in their work organization. So mm. they were like reaching out. But two, I think people also recognize their inability to think critically about the systems, the data, the sort of background processes that fuel the world that we live in like this anti-blackness thing that is happening this police brutality thing the murder of black and brown bodies isn't incidental and isn't about just opinions and feelings and rage it's actually systemic and connected to a lot of processes policies data points language that are so deeply embedded into our day-to-day -day speak that we don't realize it and so we've had a chance to grow and pivot like the majority of growth that has happened in our organization has happened in the pandemic, but it's also allowed us to think more intentionally about what does it mean for us to care for ourselves, considering this anti-Black violent world and a global pandemic in which Black people and their livelihood and health is not prioritized. Um, and in, in those shifts, getting towards balance, we, one, closed our office when the protests were happening, we closed our office and closed it to our clients. Mm. We said right now, the work that we're doing in our community for ourselves and with our people, nothing that you're asking us to do is, a, is a, an emergency. You're just going to have to wait. Mm. And so one of the intentional things was putting white folks and their needs to do everything in a hurry in its place. Um, secondly, you know, we pivoted to 
you know, this work at home thing. But that also allowed us to create a whole business model that allows everyone to be remote and to work on their own schedule. So that's a little more freeing, allowing people to travel, allowing people to take care of their families, all of that. And then thirdly, you know, really focus on what does it mean for us to build community in the middle of a pandemic in which us being with people outside of our immediate families could potentially provide a health risk. And so we've been really intentional about how do we do that for our own mental health and well-being? How do we remain constant and consistent with that care for one another mm-hmm. when we can't just like pull up all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is definitely the way of care of which I was nurtured of like, you know, something wrong, pull up outside your house. But, you know, COVID changes that. So how do we do this in a way that I can express that same immediacy and care while also being safe and protecting my loved ones? Mm-hmm. So, so those shifts, you know, the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd right in that pandemic happening at the same moment really shifted and allowed us to think more critically about us getting free, you know, survival pending, mm-hmm. pending revolution, right? Pending the liberation of all black folks worldwide. Here's how we now operate. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy, you know, you bring up the effects of the pandemic. And I promise we're going to get to that a little bit later into this uh, podcast today. Um, I think that's a very important and essential topic to, um, you know, specifically discuss with um, you two. So we will get into that a little bit, but let's transition to another topic. You both are two successful entrepreneurs in your respected areas. And, um, you know, how important, you know, within your experience is networking? How important and how, and how do you strategically network? And what does that look like for both of you personally? For me, so it's a little bit different for me. Again, I'm in a predominantly white community. And so networking is, uh, is going to look different. I do think that it's it, obviously it's, it's pretty important because you need folks for help. Uh, one of the things that I was really intentional about was making sure that when I have services that Black folks don't have to pay, mm. whether it's with their sessions, whether it's with needing food, whatever it is, I just make sure that they don't have to pay. So, for example, I had a, a I have a Black, uh, Black women support group and they wanted to go to dinner and I was like, OK, let's go to dinner. And so I went to my allies and I said, I need money. Uh, So what can you do? And they ended up donating money. I also, uh, during the time after George Floyd, I have a numerous amount of clients, black clients that want to come see me and they can't afford to come see me because my prices are pretty, you know, they're pretty up there. And uh, they said, how much do you need? I said, five grand. That'll cover some sessions for them. And they got the five grand. And so it's really about, for me, it looks different. I move different here because at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, I, my resources here are pretty limited, but I do think that it's important to network. I do think that in order for your business to, to get noticed, you have to do that networking. You have to make sure you're navigating it in a way that not only invites folks in, but also challenges folks capability helping a black owned business, which is really important. So for me, networking just looks different because I'm in this very white world. (laughs) And I'm always leaning on that because I think that my people need to to pay for anything right now. Again, this is going to sound kind of, I just believe in reparations, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're open. Mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Kelly, are you um, born and raised in the city that you, that your business is in? No, no. Born and raised from Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And Um, uh, do you think there's a, you know, the importance of or a difference between being born and raised in an area 
you know, regarding network and, uh, you know, what are the challenges you feel like you face, you know, not being, you know, necessarily born, you know, and raised in the area that you, you do business? Well, my goodness, I just remember growing up, 8 Mile and Van Dyke, Detroit. Um, mm. It was all about the neighborhood. It was all about community. It was all about the village. And so we just looked out for each other. And that networking looked, it just, to me, that was networking. That was supporting. That was comforting. And it just looked different. I didn't have to, I just didn't have to be careful with my words. Mm. Um, I didn't have to be careful how I moved. Um, and I just knew that. Uh, folks were just very intentional about helping my people mm-hmm. in, in my neighborhood uh, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And here I have to be careful with how I move and, and, and what I say and how, you know, not necessarily where I'm cold switching or where I'm, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a totally different person. It's just that, that the space just looks different and it feels different as soon as you go in those spaces mm-hmm. here in uh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference for me. Dr. Liston, can you speak towards your networking strategies and um, how important that is to your business and what that looks like for you? Yeah. As a real life introvert, I hate networking. (laughs) The idea (laughs) causes like severe anxiety and overwhelm and just like immediately no. (laughs) And so I do acknowledge that what I've been able to do or where my business has grown is because of my connections on social media. Mm And because of that, the honest truth is that the majority of our work is outside of Wisconsin. Mm. And so I think it's important for us, like we are based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We are prioritizing folks who have lived in that area. And that's the community that we give back to. But that's not necessarily the community that's funding us (laughs) or giving us enough money to, to do our work. And so I think for me, it's just like, I have a job or responsibility to put Milwaukee on the map. Mm. And so I'm going to do that. So I'm mm. every space I'm in, you're going to know that this is a black girl from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. That's it. You know, it wasn't, you know, the coasts didn't nurture her. She not from the high density black areas that you think of like Atlanta and Oakland and New York and Chicago. Um, but she from Milwaukee. So this is where we're going to put some respect on the name of the city. Mm. Um, and I think with that, it also allows us to be very honest about our positionality when we engage with our clients who are across the country, right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is the Midwest that's coming out of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we might not always acknowledge the Midwest in us because it's so a part of our daily lived experience. And so the networking has been largely about being honest and not beating the beating around the bush when it comes to talking to my clients and you know, talking on social media, Facebook, Instagram, like I'm going to tell it like it is. Mm. And those shares and those reflections and those comments have led to a lot of people being wanted, wanting to be connected to our organization and work with us. So it, it's been the passive networking that I can do um, behind my phone, behind the computer screen. That's been my niche. But the introvert in me is like, poof. The pandemic has spared me from all those networking happy hours and all of those uh, often uncomfortable conversations of, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that I'm just thankful to <laughs> to not be engaged in right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And say it again. Let's, I know I'll say it again. Tell it like it is, you know, and once you said that, you know, that, that resonates with me and, um, you know, it kind of leads 
again to where I, where I want to take this conversation is authenticity, you know, and I, I understand that that's a conversation that everyone needs to have. And what does authentic look like and feel like for you too? And how important is it for you to show up, you know, authentically you in, in spaces? Yeah, I can start there. What's important to us, we have an internal thing that we say often as a reminder, but it's talk your SH, you can finish the word. <laughs> um, but like, that's important to us. Like you, you know what your stuff is and you just need to be in a position to, to be able to talk it. Mm. And so it's most important that we can create the conditions to do it. So it doesn't feel adversarial, but it feels natural. Mm. It feels, in, it feels necessary. It feels not just required, but something that you want to give into a space. And that space could be a conversation, an interview, a focus group, a workshop, whatever, but you feel compelled to do so. And so creating that space and setting the conditions necessary for people to talk their stuff is like paramount. It is the foundation for us being able to be successful. And, you know, people have asked me, I am very transparent, I use a lot of swear words. And I also say that I'm never going to make a white person feel comfortable just because they had a conversation with me. In fact, it might even be my own (laughs) desire to ensure that they're uncomfortable (laughs) if they're having a conversation with me. And so talking that is just like, I'm not going to, my aim or objective isn't to make money or to get a contract. My aim or objective is to tell white people the truth. And when I tell the truth, we can skip all of the platitudes and pleasantries and get to what can really happen. Mm. Now, do you want that? Do you want to get closer to freedom and liberation? Do you want to undo how white supremacy has controlled your life? Do you want to be a better human being? Mm. Well, now let's go. Because I'm not going to do this little bait, comforting, DEI inclusion conversation with you so you feel um, really comfortable to remain exactly who you are to work with me. And that's not that's not going to be the case. And so to the point that you're raising, it is paramount for us to not get trapped in the hamster wheel of DEI and include uh, DEI work, which is let's make white people comfortable enough to hire us again. I don't want that. I want white people to be so angry after working with us that they're going to be like, we can't ever. (laughs) But in that spirit that it makes it more plain of what the actual issues regarding race, racism, racial equity, anti-blackness, white supremacy really are. Mm. So like, I got to say it. (laughs) We're not going to beat around the bush. We ain't got time. My ancestors didn't have time. These people, I see in the background there, Dr. Kelly has Dr. King's um, picture when he was incarcerated. It's like, we don't have time for this anymore. They already said it. If you want something platitude, go read a civil rights memoir. But what I'm going to tell you in this moment is that you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if you want to go on that journey with us and our team, let's do it. If not, call somebody else because we're not wasting time anymore. And so um, that that authenticity, that intentionality is really about, you know, walking in the footsteps of our ancestors and making sure that we're um, lifting up the legacy that they set forward for us. For me, showing up authentically means that, in all honesty, because for a moment, I started to like question my capability and my competency with what I was doing because of the, the white community. And so I had to start reclaiming my title. And I started doing that by letting folks know that they had to address me as Dr. Kelly versus Khadija. Mm. And, and I wanted to do that as well as showing my community that like we can do this kind mm. of thing. Um, as well as creating a space for Black folks to be extremely comfortable and feel safe enough to to they need to share when they when they enter my space when they come get um, help with their mental health. 
there are moments where I am where I am challenged uh, with how I operate when I'm talking to white folks, specifically white allies. But uh, at the end of the day, I just I don't have the time and I'm in a stage of anger. I, I And that's just that. Uh, and I don't try to like I don't try to like cover that up because I think some people say, well, I'm very passionate. I'm like extremely angry um, because I don't like how my people are being treated. And so this is how I'm going to operate. And if, if if you are uncomfortable in this situation, then this isn't the space for you. And so I try to do that in a way that allows people to understand that like we it's OK to be angry. It's not going to result in violence. It just means that like we're, we're, we're over this, like we need more for our community. And so I really think showcasing that gives the people that I serve the opportunity to like model that and be OK with that mm-hmm. because I have clients coming in. Uh, with with extreme racial battle fatigue, which kind of mimics PTSD because of racial microaggressions. Mm. And they they're working in these white spaces. Just, you know, make sure that you're safe enough to challenge that, because at the end of the day, when folks say we want to make this, you know, the space safe for you, I will never as a black woman be be safe in those spaces. I want to be comfortable, but I'll never be safe in those spaces. Mm. And so, you know, that's something that I convey to my clients when they come in with with just these like major mental health issues and regarding with working in those white spaces. So again, I, I try to show up as authentically as I can. I'm very transparent with my clients because I, you know, I'm a representation of a grandma from Mississippi, a mom from Chicago. And I want to make sure that like I, I present in that manner because that's what they taught me. Let's speak to some decision makers, you know, some people, in leadership roles that are necessarily trying to expand their support of black owned businesses and how, how can they most effectively engage and support your, your work? I can go first. One is there's a number of ways, but (laughs) one is being able to connect with us. So on all of our social media platforms, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. We have a YouTube page and sign up for our mailing list. And I think that helps you be aware of the work that we're doing. Um, Number two is if you are, um, this is a particularly for white folks, (laughs) but want to support the organization and really don't have a a way to hire us or anything like that. um, Sending money to donate to our student loan forgiveness fund is really important because that helps alleviate the debt stress of the the black folks who are doing this work. Um, And then lastly, you know, if you are working at an organization and you need help with professional development, training and learning, or creating evaluation for your program initiative, policy or practice, hit us up, Um, drop our names out there. Um, And I think locally in Wisconsin, I think the important thing is when research needs to be done, asking that question, are we going to the universities? Are we going to the typical white players? Or are we ready to invest in uh, knowledge creation, knowledge validation work that's led by Black folks and other people of color? Mm. We're not the only one in the state, but so often all of this research goes to these white-led institutions or to the universities, which again, just allow us to remain on that hamster wheel when it comes to our own data around race and equity. So, Mm. you know, 
holler at your, your most, <laughs> your most available and accessible black evaluator and um, see where that gets you next time. Dr. Kelly. I'm to a 44 year old who is not very savvy um, in the social media world. Uh, you know that uh, Rajan, um, <laughs> just by me trying to connect with you on this podcast. So I don't have Facebook. Um, however, you can go on my website and, uh, and that's how you can get in touch with me. Definitely donations is a must for me because I'm it's only me. That's it. I have no one helping me uh, and I'm doing all the work, whether it's paperwork, whether it's uh, whether it's um, uh, doing like insurances and all of those things. And so donations help a lot with uh, folks that can't afford to come see me because then that that kind of just helps them. You know, they don't have to worry about that. A lot of times I try to do pro bono work, but I, I don't want to be broke either. Mm-hmm. And so uh, getting those donations helps. As for allyship, I think it's really important if folks want to um, want to involve themselves uh, doing allyship work. It's really, you know what, at the end of the day, like, I just need them to talk to their people. I just need them to kind of like have those conversations with how they operate when they are in the presence of Black folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's it. Like, I, I wish I, you know, I, I wish I could have employees work for me. That's just, unfortunately, I can't, I don't. And I don't have the, you know, I just don't have the space to do that. But I would love for folks to donate so that I can do more with my Black Women Support Group. I really want to take them on to a retreat. And I know that's some of them limited with finance. As an African-American woman and doctor, what is it like owning and operating a business, you know, in your respected community? What's that feeling like? It's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that, like, just honestly, like, every single day, I'm like, why? Why did I do this? And I'm just trying to be honest (laughs) about it. It's like, this isn't like, oh, I feel so great every day that I get to fight for the livelihood for Black folks. No, it's stressful AF. (laughs) It is stressful. It is overwhelming. You're, I am responsible for too much stuff. (laughs) And I am constantly overwhelmed and I know the boundaries of this overwhelm, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would not be overwhelmed if I just was like, I'm cool with oppression as long as it benefits me. And which is a lot of ways in which a lot of business owners come in, come into it, right? Because you're a business owner, you got, you're looking for a way to win at capitalism. Mm -hmm. And if I, and if I just focused on that and didn't worry about the fact that capitalism is inherently exploitive and is part of the problem of why I am Mm -hmm. oppressed as a black woman, I would be having a much easier time doing this work. (laughs) I also acknowledge that if I wasn't caring for wanting Black women to be paid well, Black women and femmes and non-binary folks to feel safe at work, I could also create a more stringent workplace that doesn't doesn't require so much time and energy for me to really deal with the daily, everyday, quotidian issues with my staff, right? I would just be like, did you do the job? Okay, great. Did you not do the job? Okay, you don't work here no more. (laughs) I would just like be really cut and dry. And so I don't wish this on anyone. (laughs) I don't wish this. I I, I don't wish it. It, it, Yes, it's tremendously rewarding. Yesterday, you know, in the middle of like just an overwhelming to-do list and wanting to throw my computer on the floor, I yelled at the top of the lungs, you did that. Okay, you did that. You out here, you got 12 employees. Some black people are well, people are paying bills because you did that. Clap, clap, clap for yourself. And then I went back to my work. (laughs) Okay, so you have those moments, but 
it is it's it's stupid and i do wish that i was not having to deal with the white supremacist capitalist hetero patriarchy every single moment of my existence i really do wish i could just be you know cooking making chocolate chip cookies figuring out what the best pigs in the blanket recipe there is and spending some partner of mine's money at Nordstrom Rack every day. I do wish those things for myself. But pending the complete liberation of Black people worldwide, here is where I am. And I feel like there's no other space I could be doing justice to the talents that the ancestors gave me, the investment my community and family has put in me to getting all these degrees, the tremendous amount of student loan debt that I carry and the the love that it definitely embraces me there is no other way that i could live my life other than do it what about you dr kelly um i'm a firm believer in self-preservation and so for me um it was kind of it, it it's been tough just because of where i'm at however i you know i try i'm, I'm very purposeful in making sure that i take care of me first mm. and foremost uh before i even try to have clients um, and so it's it's extremely stressful. <laughs> I have to admit that. And plus, it doesn't help that I'm a procrastinator. And so, like, a lot of stuff gets kind of, you know, I'm at one of those last minute people. Um, and so that is kind of stressful. But I think what helps me the most is making sure that I can lean on folks when I lean on them and just, mm. you know, and, you know, sitting back and letting folks do their work instead of me doing everything. But it is. I wouldn't take it back for the world. I love what I do. Um, I've always been an advocate at heart. And so I just, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but, but it is stressful. It's very rewarding because I know that when clients come in, when they see me, they get to just breathe. They just get to breathe for that one moment, for that one hour. And that's for me, it, it really truly is not about the money. Um, it really is about just making sure that I'm serving my community in a way that doesn't jeopardize their mental health because mm. it is it's it's very hard out here in this you know this just the whiteness is always showing up and so i you know i just think at the end of the day it's about self-preservation for me yes yes dr kelly based on your business experience what advice would you give another african-american entrepreneur aspiring entrepreneur youth ent aspiring entrepreneur wishing to start a, uh, a business or a company in the, in that, in that community, what advice would you give them? Have a business plan, mm. <laughs> plain and simple. Mm. Uh, even if you don't use it and you're not going to the bank for it, have a business plan so that you have like an agenda of what you want to do and how, how you're going to operate mm. and who you want to serve. I think definitely seeing a therapist is key too as well, because it is going to be extremely hard with uh, navigating a system that just wasn't built for you. Um, and so making sure uh, you have place and then just making sure that you have a support system that is going to celebrate you and not dominate you. And so making sure that you reach out with folks that are really aligned with your goals and, and, and how you want to serve your community. Mm. So those are basically some of the things that I think is really important. Dr. Liston. Co-signing Dr. Kelly, get a therapist. I don't even know if I want to say anything else. If you're in the area, call Dr. Kelly. If you're not, ask Dr. Kelly who to call. <laughs> but I I don't even think it's worth talking about anything else. <laughs> like that's it. Get, get, get you a therapist. And if you're not ready to get a therapist, then you don't have no business running no business either. Mm -hmm. 
So just like if you're not going to take that bold step, don't take any other bold steps. <laughs> um, make sure that they're either happening in tandem or, you know, you take that bold step first. But 100 mm-hmm. percent. Definitely. If you are in the northeastern Wisconsin, I'll just say that again, northeastern Wisconsin area looking for any sort of mental health help or just, you know, support, please call Dr. Khadija Kelly. And if you are in the Milwaukee area and the Chicago area um, looking for information on how to support everyone and just information regarding the black community and community in general, please call Dr. Monique Liston. It's been a pleasure. Before you know, before we get to the ending, is there anything that you two feel like we missed and that you would like to, you know, say to the listeners today? Nothing that was missed. Just thank you for this opportunity to connecting mm-hmm. um, entrepreneurs around this conversation mm-hmm. and knowing like we need to be asking fundamental con- questions about who we give our business to, mm-hmm. right? Are we thinking about the the unusual suspects? Are we thinking about um, the Black women and feminists and trans people who are doing this work? Are we connecting with Indigenous businesses? Are mm. we showcasing people of color um, mm. when it comes to our business partnerships? Mm. And so I'm looking forward to increasing that and mm. to whatever extent our research and evaluation firm could be helpful. Mm. Um, our learning community can be supportive. I'm here for it. Dr. Kelly, any closing remarks? I'm right with Dr. Liston on that one. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm just, I'm right there with Dr. Liston with what Mm. she said. Um, uh, But I just want to say thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to showcase uh, the work that I do in the community. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And as we head to uh, into the month of February, Black History Month, it's been a pleasure to share space with two prominent doctors in our community and within our state. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I, I can't say that enough. Uh, I, I learned a lot being in this space with you two, and uh, I just cannot wait to get this out to our listeners. And uh, for everyone here today, um, celebrating the, the month of February and Black History Month, enjoy, be you, be authentic, um, and just and just continue to grow. I, I love saying that, continue to grow and learn. And uh, that that's that's what we have for you today. Um, hope you enjoyed, and uh, we'll be back next week. And, This is real. This is raw. This is authentic. This is In Our Words podcast. We're out.